When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. Um, Thank you for joining us again. Um, please be seated. We, um, as always, we have a very interesting show for you today. We're going to continue our discussion of ACTA as it's been an ongoing controversy um, in the United States, but more particularly abroad. And um, we're also going to be talking about the latest going on in, in privacy and some of the developments there um, and issues relating to do not track. So we're really glad to ha- you can, can join us today. Um, with us, we have Michael Mesnick. He is the um, CEO and founder of Tech Dirt, and um, he's also been very active in the issue of um, copyright and uh, ACTA. And Mike, are you with us? Uh, yeah. Happy so, to be here. So, Mike, um, how long has Tech Dirt been around? Uh, we have been around in in one form or another uh, since 1997, actually. Wow! Yeah, um, that's that. That's before multiple storms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in 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 internet years, it's uh, it's forever. Yeah, I, I think yeah, that's definitely gets you AARP status. I think in history. <laughs> now, um, now you've been you've written a lot of stuff on active and and um, as well as some other copyright issues and. Uh, you know, it, it's striking that to me, as we were talking offline, how ACTA has caused such broad and widespread protest in Europe, but doesn't really seem to be getting much attention here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's getting no attention in the U.S., but but certainly not to the level of uh, attention in Europe. And, I mean, there may be a few reasons for that. Um, Starting with the fact that Europeans seem to like to protest even more than people in the U.S., so <laughs> it might just be you know in their blood. Um, but um, you know, I, I think a larger part of it is that there is something very specific to to protest in Europe, which is that um, you know the EU has not officially 
signed on to ACTA, whereas the U.S. has. So th there's, you know, there's a very specific issue uh, around which that they can protest in the EU, which is trying to prevent um, either the member states from signing individually or the EU Parliament from signing, which is is really the main issue, is whether or not the EU Parliament will, will agree to the document. So let's back up. Um, ACTA is the um, anti-counterfeiting um, trade agreement. Mm-hmm. And um, it was signed in um, Japan about what, eighteen months ago or twelve months ago, something like that. Uh, well, no, I, I mean it was. It's been negotiated for many years. It was signed back in the the first round of signatures, which did not include the EU and didn't include a couple other countries, uh, Mexico and uh, one or two others didn't sign on, um, and and the EU obviously. Um, but the original round of signatures was just this past October. Um, but they, the actual document came out. Um, that I guess the final document was. Pro I can't remember the exact date because there were so many different things that came out. But that was probably about eighteen months ago. And there's been this kind of shroud of secrecy about the the treaty as well. Um, you know, the text of it wasn't released until um, I think it was signed. Correct. Uh, the, well, the text came out a little bit before that, um, but during the process, there were there was sort of this ridiculous level of secrecy around it. Um, there were leaks, so the documents did keep getting out, um, but there there was uh, the the official version uh, was not released until you know until basically the document was was done. Um, and there was, you know, there was no chance to make changes to it, so people could could talk about it or ask questions about the um, specifics of the document. But there was no no real chance to change it. It was only the the final text, and um, most of the secrecy, by the way, was at the request of the, the U.S. Trade Representative, who was negotiating it on behalf of the U.S. Um, though they tried not to admit that and sort of said that they. The, the USTR's official position was that they couldn't reveal it because others in the negotiations didn't want it revealed and that if, if the document was revealed or the drafts were revealed, um, that others might walk away from the table. Though there's, We haven't seen any evidence to actually support that. It, it seemed like it was just the U.S. didn't, didn't want people talking about what they were doing. And then to, in, on top of that, the United States has taken the position that since the treaty does not alter American law, that it does not require Senate confirmation. Uh, so it actually goes even. I should say. Uh, it actually goes even beyond that, which is that they don't even consider. They claim that it's not a treaty. Um, I mean, you called it a treaty, and lots of other people called it a treaty because it certainly looks and feels and acts like a treaty. Um, but but the the U.S. the way they're trying to avoid having to go through a Senate ratification process is to claim that it's not a treaty but rather what they call an executive agreement um, which is basically very similar to a treaty <laughs> uh, except that it doesn't require Senate ratification um, and so uh, it, it's generally a way to try and get around the Senate ratification issue there are certain rules which is that technically uh, as an executive agreement it can't bind Congress and it can't change US law um, but practically speaking that is 
you know that doesn't necessarily happen because as soon as you have an executive agreement we have you know basically obligations to other countries and should that um, should we not meet our obligations then we could run into problems and then suddenly even if technically we're not bound to it or Congress is not bound to it um, you know we'll, we'll, there are all sorts of issues about people saying well you know we have these international obligations and you know potentially ends up in in the world court or who knows where else where, where these things can be fought over so um let's go back to europe over the weekend there were demonstrations in you know 20 or more european cities and and and, and before that the um the government the prime minister of romania stepped down for having signed acta uh, well, he he—it's unclear if he, he stepped down because of that specifically. Um, but that was—he did right before he did step down. He admitted, uh, among some other things, that he wasn't sure why the country had agreed to sign ACTA, um, which is kind of a, <laughs> a surprising statement, you know, from a, from a head of state. Uh, admitting that they don't know why they just signed a, a big trade agreement that that may have widespread impact on on you know citizens throughout the country and access to medicine and uh, copyright and and a variety of other topics that that could become really important. Um, so I mean, there's been a lot of you know in part because of very widespread protests. There's been a lot of um, I guess you know, sort of backtracking, or or people in Europe, um, politicians in Europe, you know, suddenly discovering or trying to understand the document. There was a, a similar situation, well, not quite the same, but in Slovenia, um, where the um, the Slovenian uh, diplomat in Japan, which is where they signed uh, the document, and who was the person who signed it. Um, wrote this very confessional blog post admitting that she didn't understand uh, the document when she signed it and you know after everyone started protesting and complaining and calling out her specifically for, for being the person who signed it she now read the document and she failed in her duty to understand it and even though you know she was told to do this by the Slovenian government she regretted it and, <coughs> and should have spoken up about it so it's there have been some really sort of odd happenings. Uh, um, and then the the EU negotiator resigned. Uh, it, it's it's a little confusing. It's not technically the negotiator. <laughs> There's all these like sort of weird um, uh, technicalities in terms of EU parliamentary process and things that I, that uh, you, you discover the more you dig into this. Uh, it was the and I don't even know how to pronounce it. I'm going to fail miserably, but. A rapporteur, or right? That's why I said negotiator. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not technically the negotiator. It's their their role is to investigate it uh, for the EU Parliament. the The negotiations were actually handled outside of the EU Parliament. Um, it was done by the EU uh, Commission, which is separate from the EU Parliament. So the EU Commission is is a, a sort of like the executive. It's a, right. the, you know basically the difference between the executive branch and the the legislative branch. So it was done by the EU. The negotiations were done by the EU Commission, and then this is the person who was in, from the EU Parliament who was in charge of investigating and understanding ACTA, and and he resigned uh, specifically in protest of this and and very very vocally. Um, has spoken out against it and against both the process and the document itself, um, calling it um, 
<laughs> both useless and threatening. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is <laughs> it seems, how, how can you be both? Now, what, what is the substance? What, what are they upset about? Um, well, that's, and, and that's where it gets interesting in many ways, and that's part of the reason why it's both useless and threatening. <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, the, um, the, the substance is, is technically, you know, it's an agreement about enforcement of intellectual property issues and and you know uh, most of the focus is on copyright but it actually applies to trademark and patents as well and there's some widespread disputes there and and there the the patent side actually may be a big issue in the US but that that may be outside the scope of what we have in the in the time today but um uh it, it's it's basically trying to technically and the most charitable uh, description of it is is that uh, it, it, they're trying to harmonize the enforcement of um, various laws around uh, intellectual property, um, you know, enforcement, punishment, um, penalties, things of, of that nature. Uh, you know, the specifics are where it gets a lot more troubling, and where a lot of the the complaints are about, which is that. Um, Part of it is that it's it's incredibly vaguely worded in multiple places, and so um, both in the U.S. Um, the Congressional Research Service did an analysis um, questioning whether or not it, it does it um, require changes to U.S. law or not, um, and there was a similar report in Europe, which has been kept secret, which is a little strange. Um, in the U.S., the report was originally kept secret, but eventually did come out. And it, uh, no, this report was not redacted. Okay, um, I saw one it, that was redacted. Okay, that that was the European report. The European report that did come out was redacted. Uh, and what it what both of them effectively say, and and with the European report, you're sort of reading between the redactions, so <laughs> it's a little trickier. Um, but what they basically say is that well might require changes to the law and it might not it kind of depends on how you interpret it and uh, you know I mean I, it's important I guess for me to say I'm not a lawyer but um, you know I tend to think that you know if you're lawyers and you're crea crafting a document that can be interpreted in very very different ways that could have very very different you know end results that's that's bad drafting right <laughs> um and so, I mean, occasionally, maybe on purpose, people will do it that way. But um, and so, you know, there is that concern, which is that if you have this sort of um, document that looks different, depending on which angle you're looking at it, right. um, you know, you can get it approved with the claim that it doesn't require any changes to law, both in the U.S. and across the EU. But then, you know, give it a year or six months or however long and somebody comes along and says well ACTA says we have to do this and therefore we have to change the law to match that and everyone said that the, the agreement was made with the promises that it wouldn't wouldn't change the law and so you know I think there's there's a big concern there and, and you know we can start to dig into some of the specifics there's a lot of different issues where where it may um, raise questions about uh, about changes to, the, to, to laws both in the US and, and Europe well, and then there's a concept in the law known as um, estoppel, where if where you, if you take a position, and people rely on you taking that position or act upon things yeah. based on your taking that position, 
you can't then reverse your position um, <laughs> and and expect um, the other other people, um, you know, to have no remedy as a result. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think the, the I don't know what the strategy is if it's to of the you know, the um, the content providers who are pushing this whether to um, hope that we have a vague nebulous agreement that they can later on enforce. Um, on, a, on a not so vague and very specific and narrow reading, um, you know, they may have an, at the equitable issue against them. Yeah, I, it's. <laughs> I, I mean, it's. I think it's part of a, a longer term strategy overall. So part of it is just that you know the ability to bring these things up, and and part of it is really. Um, you know, if you look at kind of the history of these things, the way that they work when when they try and ratchet up um, intellectual property issues through international trade agreements. What generally happens is they get a sort of you know vague agreement in place, and then they work on you know I, I guess I would call it the weakest link <laughs> uh, country you know in the agreement to try and get them to pass a very um, you know expansive version of the law that matches the agreement. And then once they have that in place. They start to go to other countries and they say, you know, hey, country A over here passed this law under this agreement, and it has, you know, these, you know, X, Y, and Z provisions. Uh, you know, and in order to harmonize under this agreement, we need to match and/or beat, <laughs> uh, preferably beat, <laughs> you know, X, Y, and Z provisions with A, B, and C provisions, and then they can, you know, hopefully, if they can beat the levels that were in the other country, then they can go on to the next country and say, well, you know that country has you know abc provisions and so under this trade agreement we have to match or beat those you know to stay in compliance with our international agreements and so they they do it in this sort of very you know careful and and methodical manner where they just sort of keep you know sort of turning that wrench to to um to ratchet up uh the laws and so uh, you know, so that's part of it, and then the the other part of it is, you know, use this as a baseline to then pass another international agreement, trade agreement of some sort, um, down the road, which you know sort of builds on that and says, well, we already have this <laughs> international agreement. The law. Now, you, you talked about um, you know, being methodical and and using the wrench. Um, my producer is doing that right now. We need to take a <laughs> short break, but um, when we come back, we'll be talking more about ACTA and what it means and what's ahead. This is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. How far do your ads reach? You don't have to fly around the world for the right consumers and clients to find your business. What you need is profit through performance. Location 3 Media helps you to increase your brand's findability and performance. Let Location 3 Media help you create efficient and effective online marketing campaigns that fit your needs and get you results. We know every click starts a journey. Where will your brand be on the path? Visit Location3Media.com. From the creators of We Build Pages, experience the power of the Internet Marketing Ninja. An exclusively trained army of nearly 100 in-house ninjas. Mastered in the arts of social media, local marketing, content creation, SEO reporting, and yes, link building. 
the Internet Marketing Ninjas will release a new version of their legendary tools to the public. Visit IamNinjas.com. The Ninjas are coming. Superior Affiliate Offers. Superior Affiliate Brands. Superior Affiliate Service. The Superior Affiliate Management. Superior Affiliate Management delivers direct, exclusive offers with weekly payouts. Their mission is to ignite your e-commerce and ignite your commissions. Superior Affiliate Brands means our work with the Internet Retailer's Top 500, as well as new brands, thanks to their full-service agency and CPA network. Superior Affiliate Service means lifetime bonus referrals and personal VIP treatment. When you hear Superior Affiliate Offers, Superior Affiliate Brands, Superior Affiliate Service, that's SAMOPM.com. You have arrived at the destination for education and entertainment. WebmasterRadio.fm Because not everyone's last name is Gates. WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm and we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. And uh, I want to read to you briefly uh, an excerpt from the, uh, the statement of the uh, EU uh, rapporteur. Um, and he, he stated in uh, resigning that, I want you to announce in the strongest possible manner the entire process that led to the signature of this agreement, no inclusion of civil society organizations, a lack of transparency from the start of the negotiations, Repeated postponing of the signature of the text without an explanation being being ever given. Exclusion of the EU's Parliament's demands that were expressed on several occasions in our Assembly. As rapporteur of this text, I have faced never seen before maneuvers from the right wing of this Parliament to impose the rush calendar before public opinion could be alerted, thus depriving the Parliament of its right to expression and the tools at its disposal to convey citizens' legitimate demands. Um, quite strong language, and um, yeah. I, I, I don't know if there's is there any president for this at all in EU history. Uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, there there might be, but I'm you know not as familiar with kind of you know EU parliamentary history. Um, but it's you know clearly this is not uh, you know he's not mincing words. No, it, um, it's, it's uh, I fought in your general direction. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Um, yeah, I mean it was really strong, and he's continued since then. You know, since resigning that position, he's continued to speak out and. Um, over the weekend, did an interview with the Wall Street Journal, in which he was, you know, very specific in calling out different different sections uh, of the agreement, as well as talking about how the EU Parliament um, sort of forced his hand by um, using some sort of obscure procedural issue to to effectively say that the EU has to have this done uh, by May. Uh, which he felt was way too short a time period for something so controversial, which is you know what he was alluding to in that statement. Um, so there's you know there's a lot of things going on um, that are raising questions about how this document was both created and now and now the the sort of process in, in which to get it uh, signed and ratified. Now 
you you wrote in your blog that you you don't think his interview or his resignation is really going to have much of an impact. Uh, well, that's my my fears because you know what what happened is uh, you know while the uh, resignation certainly drew attention to the problems uh, and and maybe that that already has had an impact in terms of you know galvanizing more people, um, but the end result of it <laughs> is that the person who took his place appears to be. Um, you know, friendly towards the agreement, and probably a lot more willing to say that the agreement is fine. Um, and so, you know, the the risk there is that while the resignation, um, you know, may have been a, a very important symbolic gesture, um, <laughs> the end result is that it may have handed over power to someone who says, "Oh, the agreement is just fine." Right. Exactly. It's to an institution man. Yeah. Now, um, one of the issues um, you you mentioned for the Europeans relates to pharmaceuticals. And you know the fact that we have different um, patent regimes governing generic drugs. Yeah. Um, so the, I mean, there's a lot of very very technical issues here, but the sort of short and and perhaps overly simplified version of it is, uh, you know, um, concerning questions about the legality of generic drugs, which differs based on country. Um, and the, the question is sort of, you know, especially for, for uh, pharmaceuticals in transit, um, under which regime they apply. So as a um, uh, sort of example of this, if India, for example, is producing generic drugs um, for, uh, you know, some issue and they are shipping them to, say, Brazil, um, the the standard transit path might take them through Europe for you know whatever reason, um, and so you know it may be in dock in a ship you know docked in a European port for a day or two, um, uh, just you know in transit to Brazil, and those drugs may be perfectly legal in India and they may be perfectly legal in Brazil, um, but under patent regime they may violate patents in the EU where they're docked briefly. And one of the issues under ACT is that it, it, it looks like it expands the ability for uh, officials then in the EU to say that those, those drugs are now in the EU where they are violating patents and they can be seized and potentially destroyed. Um, and that is a major concern for countries like India and Brazil um, where they like their inexpensive generic drugs to deal with you know widespread disease issues um, and and are kind of fearful of those those kinds of things being seized and destroyed um, for for very good reason you know the the big pharmaceutical companies that sell the non-generic versions of these drugs don't like these generic drugs even though they are perfectly legal in those other countries if right. not the EU now um where do you see this going in the, in the U.S.? You know, if if there is no requirement for if the supporters' view is correct, and there is no requirement for ratification, you know, basically they're just doing a rope a dope until the other <laughs> um, countries sign, right? Yeah, I, I mean, so there's there's there are questions about whether or not it needs to be um, you know ratified by the Senate in the U.S. and and um, Senator Wyden um, has raised these concerns um, to the you know to the administration, and they got back sort of a, a silly form letter from the USTR, which um, confuses a couple of different issues. Um, and 
I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I'm a little surprised that others in the Senate haven't spoken up. Um, not even because they're that particularly concerned about the specific issues within ACTA, but just from a separation of powers um, process standpoint, the Senate generally likes to protect, uh, you know, its own mandate and keep it from, uh, you know, keep the executive branch from um, taking more and more of its powers away. Um, and especially there are plenty of people in the Senate who are, you know, not particularly happy with our with our current president. That's just the nature of politics. Um, and so I'm kind of surprised that, that more in the Senate haven't spoken up about this being an abusive process by the by the president. Um, it may that may happen. But for the most part, it seems like U.S. politicians have, have sort of said, well, you know, we've already kind of signed this agreement. Um, so I, I'm not entirely sure. Is part of it also just it's been overshadowed by SOPA? Uh, definitely that that could very well be a part of it. Um, you know, though there's a part of me that that thinks that, you know, because of SOPA, that ACTA um, would have gotten more, then would get more attention on the U.S. side of things. And in fact, you know, I think it probably is getting more attention than it was before SOPA, um, but it hasn't taken off like SOPA did. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the European protests are very much driven by the by what happened with SOPA. Um, it, 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 that's what sort of galvanized people in Europe to say, okay, we can, we can you know, make a stand here because this is, you know, and I think ACT has been described uh, possibly unfairly as kind of, you know, a worldwide SOPA. Now, um, I, I recall uh, Ted Kennedy telling a story about when he first came to the Senate and he lobbied this one old, old senator, you know, he was in his 90s, to get his support for this one um, amendment. And um, during the debate, you know, the senator, the old senator, gave him a, an impassioned plea of why you should support Kennedy's uh, amendment, but then ultimately voted against it. And Kennedy asked him why that was, and he said, well, my district is equally divided on this issue. So for those <laughs> who are in favor of it, I'll send them the speech, and for those who are against it, I'll send them my vote. And are, do, you, do you think there's a sense that they can do that here? Um, you know, I voted against SOPA, but I, I, since I don't have to do anything on ACTA, um, yeah. and that's since I, I can take care of both people. Uh, that that could be. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a little. You know, it's a little trickier because there's no vote for them to then point to. That's the um, genius of it. You, know, you don't have to <laughs> yeah. do anything, and, and you and you and you give um, the industry what they want. Yeah, it's that's it's entirely possible. Um, you know, it is as sort of a, a sort of uh, uh, backhand way to say, "Hey, look, we are looking out for your interests, even if we had to back away from from SOPA and PIPA." Um, that, that's possible. So, um, Mike, we're running out of time now. What's um What's the best way for people to follow you and to to follow Techter? Uh, you know, the easiest way is just techter.com. Um, you know, that's that's where all all the content is. If you're a big Twitter user, um, you know, you can follow Techter at at Techter, or you can follow me personally at mmasnick. And uh, and you know, obviously, we're also uh, Techter is on Facebook as well, so you can follow us on on either of those places if you'd like. Thanks again, Mike. It was a pleasure having you, and I uh, hope you consider joining us again. Sure, thanks. It was a lot of fun. Uh, next, we have um, a, a very um, frequent um, guest, um, Dan Tynan from eSarcasm. Dan, are you with us? I am with you in spirit, if not body. 
<laughs> the the wonders of cyberspace. <laughs> uh, Dan, you've been writing a, a lot on um, the privacy and and do not track and um, and and particularly in Google's changes into their privacy. Um, what's what's uh what's what's where where are you seeing things going right now? Straight into the toilet, Bennett. Oh wow! Okay. Um, Actually, you know, it's kind of interesting because I've been writing about privacy, um, you know, since I was like 12 years old, it feels like. And uh, nobody's really been paying attention. And, and suddenly in the last year or two, everyone's paying attention, uh, which is great um, because there's so much going on. And the downside of that, of course, is, you know, there's so much going on. Uh, and usually when something goes on in the realm of privacy, it's not good news. So there's been a lot of happening recently. Um, one of the things I'm writing about today is actually the number of different mobile apps that when you install them on your phone, reach in and take your address book and upload them, upload it to their servers. Wow. Uh, and this started because there's a, a mobile app, which I have not yet used, called Path, which uh, is another social network. It's designed to sort of find people that you actually know and communicate with as opposed to Facebook, uh, where you don't really know and communicate with a lot of these people. And uh, it got into trouble because an app developer was trying to write to their API, and he discovered that the latest version of Path uploaded all of his contact list without asking him, without telling him. He just stumbled upon it by accident. He wrote a blog post about it. It became a big deal. Uh, and then Path responded by saying, well, you know, this is just standard industry best practice. And that became a bigger deal. Uh, and then Path had to say, oops, we're sorry, we'll stop doing it, and we'll never do it again. Uh, and now, of course, people are saying, but it is actually an industry standard practice. And so uh, Facebook, Twitter, Foursquare, you know, all in different ways, uh, will upload your address book. Some of them will notify you. Some will ask if it's okay. But, you know, a lot of times you, if you say, hey, find friends of mine who are using this service so I can connect with them, it will go in and reach into your address book and pull out the information. Huh. And, and what's the reaction been so far to the story? Well, I am actually writing a blog post as we speak uh, about that. But uh, it's just been the last couple of days, uh, people talking about it. And so it's hard to know, except that the companies like Facebook and Twitter, when you when you call them on it, they're generally saying, oh, yeah, we do that. But we will stop. <laughs> or they're saying, um, yeah, we'll, we'll do stop that. if the press is bad. If, if the... Right. Right. Well, we'll stop if our users are going to be mad about it. Uh, or they'll say, we'll change our privacy policy to tell people we're doing it. Because a lot of times, they're not even doing that. Okay. that That's serious. I think it's pretty serious. Uh, there's some debate as to how serious it is, uh, but I think phone numbers are, are a very personal thing. Yes. I mean, because you can only have one at a time. I mean, a phone number is not a social security number. It's not, like, tattooed on your forehead for the rest of your life. But, you know, it does pretty much identify you. So, anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. But uh, there's been lots of privacy news lately. You also you were writing about the, the do not track... Yes. And, yes. Um, well, you know, the, the arguments against do not track is that basically it's it's taking out the currency of the of every internet transaction because you know that that that's how we get free internet is because people are able to be tracked is the argument. 
Yeah, yeah. Whenever people say free internet, I always get a little, you know, my hackles go up because, as I said, I think in a recent blog post, um, internet ain't free for me. Uh, I pay a lot of money for internet access. Uh, I'm not paying it to the websites, but I'm paying it to somebody. So uh, it'd be great if internet was free. <laughs> That'd be terrific. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. But what they're talking about is, you know, advertising supported internet. Right. right? But the thing about this issue, and this issue is complicated. I've written three blog posts on it in the last week, and I have at least two more just to cover the basics. But uh, the argument on one side is that, you know, for advertisers, advertisers want to place cookies on your hard drive, and those cookies will look at, you know, the different websites you visit. So if there's an ad on, say you go to CNN.com, there's right. an ad homepage, it's part of an ad network. Um, whenever you hit another web page that also has an ad from that same ad network, it will look on your hard drive, find the cookie, and go ping, and click it off, and say, okay, so this person, this browser, to whom we don't have a name or any other identity, uh, has looked at CNN and these other websites, and it composes a profile of you, and then it says, gee, you know, this person seems to be really interested in cars and Furbies, so when they visit another site where part of our network, we're going to deliver them ads about cars and Furbies, regardless of what website they visit. Because, so, yeah, they have, that, they have that data. Right, um, they have that data, and, you know, they want to deliver ads to you. And, you know, that's fine, uh, I suppose. But, you know, there's a couple of questions about that. One is, how anonymous are you truly? What kind of information do they really gather? Uh, and there's been some research about that which suggests that you're not quite as anonymous as these companies claim. For example, these companies capture the URL uh, of the site, you know, the web address, revisiting a lot of times. When you log into a website, the URL contains your login, which is your email address. Right. So some sites, some of these networks are capturing your name, essentially, along with that web page, whether they intend to or not. Uh, many of them are also capturing your IP address, you know, which is you know what you use to get on the internet, uh, assigned to you by your ISP, and that's sort of semi-personal too. And, and the, the European Union treats it as personal. Yes, I mean if you have a Wi-Fi network network like I do at home, and there's four people and 27 different devices all using it, um, they all have the same IP address. They all go through the router, and so you don't know which of us or our devices is accessing the internet any one time. But you do have my name and address because I'm on the bill. Mm -hmm. So that's fairly personal. And if you live alone and you have a what's called a static IP that doesn't change, then there's a very good one-to-one -one connection about saying the person who at this IP address on this particular day and time is you. So there's some information that could be used to identify you and could be extracted to put in your profile. So but it doesn't seem like the do not track proposals in Congress are getting much traction, though. doesn't look like they are, uh, in large part because the, um, the industry, the advertising industry, really wants to avoid regulation because they want to be able to use your data as opposed like. to all the other industries lining up begging Congress <laughs> to regulate them. Begging, begging. <laughs> me, for example, I'm begging someone to regulate me. And then I want them to subsidize me, and then I want them to bail me out. <laughs> that would be great. I could retire, I think. So, um, 
Yes, but like many industries, they don't want you know the federal government getting in their way, and it's understandable because you know the federal government, once it starts to regulate technology, generally does a piss poor job of it. Uh, they uh, tend to you know, wield blunt instruments. They tend to not understand things, and they tend to listen to the loudest voices, which are the people with the most money. Right. So when they compose laws, they generally aren't good. So the advertising industry wants to self-regulate. They want to self-police. And they are making, I think, sincere efforts to do so. Whether they can is another question. But the other flip side about targeting that people don't often talk about is, one, the sheer scope. There's more than 800 companies that do web tracking. Not all of them are advertisers. In fact, most of them are not advertising networks. They are companies that gather data and sell it to somebody else. Uh So one of the things that's just come up, and I have really only begun to look at this fairly recently, is the notion that even if your data is anonymous, if you participate in certain behaviors, if you visit certain websites, and it doesn't matter what kind of websites they are, if you fit into a certain profile, you could that data could be sold to say an insurance company uh, or even you know a background search company or you know uh, a bank, mm-hmm. and who could determine that people who have a similar profile are a higher risk to us. They so we could deny them coverage or we could charge them more money because you, based on your web surfing habits, are similar to these other people who we know are bad. And so you could end up getting uh, denied insurance or a higher quote or, you know, turn down for a job or fill in the blank and never know why. And there are no regulations at all covering this. There are regulations covering things like credit reports, you know, Experian and TransUnion and Equifax, uh, background check companies, uh, Intellius, uh, U.S. data, uh, ChoicePoint, LexisNexis, these guys are all well-known data brokers, and right. there are rules about what they can and can't do. There are no rules about what these 800 web tracking companies can do with their data. And, and I think people don't generally talk about. And there's no standard for security either. There's no standard for security. There's you know very little telling you know what information they're really gathering and how they're treating it. Now there are groups that you know industry advertising-driven groups that are trying to say, okay, here, for example, here's the list of 800 companies and here's the kind of information they gather. But 99.99% of Americans have no idea about this and are never going to look at this and never understand it. It's true. And, um, you know, case in point, um, I used to be in-house at um, ValueClick, which was one of the advertisers um, you know, so you're av- evil. So you're telling me you're secretly evil. Yeah. Well, well, I, don't, I wouldn't I wouldn't call them that, but they, they're one of the leading ad networks. Right. And I got a call from some guy in Texas who wanted me to come out to him personally to remove. He said, "You put some cookie on my computer. I want you to come here and take it off." <laughs> <laughs> and did you? <laughs> and I said, "Well, technically, sir, it's not on your computer. It's on your browser." And uh, but you know, it was it's a it was a comical exchange. But um, you know, there's that kind of sense of that you some I must have somehow invaded his computer to do that. <laughs> well, in a way, you did not you personally, but I mean, you know, and it happens amazing number of times actually. Um, this 
so this whole track of me writing about do not track, so to speak, lately was inspired because a company named Abine or Abine, I guess, in Massachusetts released a little free utility called Do Not Track Plus. Okay. And it's pretty simple. You go there, you download it, install it in your browser, and when you visit a website, there's a little icon in the top right corner that tells you how many cookies are being dropped. You know, how many different tracking cookies are dropped per website. Uh, and it's kind of stunning how many there are. Um, All right. We, um, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, um, Dan, I want you to tell um, a, a rapt audience um, <laughs> how stunning it is. After these messages, we'll be back with Dan Tynan. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. In 500 yards, CPA Way will be on your right. You have reached your destination. On the interstate of Internet marketing, CPA Way helps you monetize the way. No matter which direction you're heading, CPA Way is your route to low-risk revenue. Advertisers, we have paved the way to delivering revenue channels that will meet and exceed your expectations. Publishers, we monitor and manage your campaigns to bring you the most revenue possible. Publishers can feel secure to leverage direct offers, while advertisers can find safety, offering their most valued campaigns. The road to trust, respect, integrity, and honor is just ahead at cpaway.com. As you know, being an expert at f- <gasps> What did she say? Requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f- You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their performance to the next level. The language. Of course, we're talking about managing Facebook ads on Aquizio. Oh. Buy, track, manage, optimize, and report on media across all major ad networks. Visit Aquizio.com to get a demo today. Aquizio. Search, social, display, one platform. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Cyberspace. The final frontier. These are the voyages of your new business enterprise. It's ongoing mission to explore strange new domains, to seek out new sites and new monetizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. WebmasterRadio.fm. So logical. You'll go out of your Vulcan mind. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. Thank you for coming back. This, um, I'm here with 
Dan Tynan, who's been a, a, a regular guest for us over the years. And um, Dan's talking about privacy, and he's particularly talking about a new pr- service um, that, that that blocks um, cookie downloads. It's called Albine, is it? Uh, a- I think that they're actually pronounced Abine or Abine, A-B-I-N-E. And they're, uh, they're yeah. based in Massachusetts. And um, you said you were shocked by what the how many how many cookies it blocked. Yes. Well, um, you visit a site and it shows you in the little icon in the corner upper corner of your browser um, how many different trackers or tracking cookies are dropped. For example, uh, your site, the Internet Law Cyber Report, the Internet Law Center Cyber Report, well, has WordPress, four. Yeah. WordPress site has four. The one where you showed me that scary video earlier today, <laughs> in which my face played a prominent role. <laughs> I'm going to see you for that, by the way. I just want you to know. Um, so you have four, which is not very many. Uh, there's a social button, so Twitter. So if you have, you know, a, you know, if you have a like button or a Google Plus button or a Twitter button on your website, those show up, and you can block those if you want to, or not. Uh, there's one ad network on your site. There's two tracking companies, which includes the ad network and uh, analytics. So very, very relatively small number of cookies there, but things like Google Analytics. Everyone has Google Analytics, right? Right. It's a blog because they want to know how many visitors they had and where they came from, and a lot of information all gathered by that cookie. So not necessarily evil, uh, useful in many ways, but it's one of the ones to track. Uh, Where I blog at IT World, there were 17. Um, three trackers and 11 ad networks and five social buttons and so on. So um, this this tool just pops up, shows you, and automatically blocks all of them, and then you can selectively unblock them. Now, there's another tool which has been around longer called Ghostery, like Ghost, E-R-Y. Right. And that does something very similar, uh, only it doesn't block. It just tells you what's there, and then you can decide what you want to block. Now, uh, don't consumers have this ability already? Because supposedly all the new browsers are supposed to have some kind of ability to block cookies. They are supposed to have a do not track header or something in them, but they only work if the other, if the websites agree to let them work, and there are very few websites that work with them now. Mm. So there's an effort towards doing this, but it's a chicken and egg problem. Clearly. Yeah. So this is why companies like Abein or Abine put out these tools so people can do it proactively and very simply. Um, and so I've been actually having an argument with the people uh, in, on the the advertising network side of the equation who don't like this because they don't want a lot of people doing this. Because if a lot of people block the trackers, then the trackers go out of business. Right. And and it's right. you know Having been on that side of the equation and having seen the evolution of this debate, it um, you know, we we thought that this, you know, the the browsers being able to do this would be a disaster, and you know, it just hasn't happened. Right. And I'm I'm not sure. And although we had a guest on our show, it said that actually the browser-based blockers were were quite complex and not easy to use. But um, the question is, is how many consumers ultimately will exercise what the option that you're pursuing? That is the question. Um... And that's one of the reasons why there's such a debate over legislation. Because uh, the advertising industry, obviously, you know, they don't want to be regulated, but they don't want to be mandated into uh, making it too easy for people to opt out. 
personally, I think they should be easy for people to opt out, and the ad industry is making it, I think, deliberately difficult for them to opt out because you know it's a cash cow. The uh, an, a targeted ad, an ad that says, "Gee, you looked at cars and Furbies, so you're probably interested in cars and Furbies, and we're going to deliver you this ad," makes more than two and a half times as much money for a publisher as a non-targeted ad. Exactly, and you know, keep in mind one thing that's going on. Um, but much slower than the industry as a whole is um, members of Congress or their campaign staff are using online targeting um, to, for their ads. Oh, they're very sophisticated. In fact, you know the campaigns are way more sophisticated than most uh, organizations in terms of targeting. They have to be right. But in terms of you know the dollars spent uh, online um, in the political realm versus the non-political. Um, you know they're actually very far behind, but um, you know it is interesting. And to what extent will that affect policy decisions? Well, you know, because they want these tools too, right? Exactly. They don't want to limit these tools, right? So it was like there's a there was a debate about robocalls to cell phones, and they were going to. Um, late last year, lift restrictions on robocalls so that political organizations could use them to call people on their cell phones to get the vote out. Uh, and that movement was quelled because you know there were a lot of people who just didn't want to get robocalled. I am one of them. Right. And, and so there was a group actually um, a, that formed that allowed you to robocall the politicians back. You could go <laughs> online. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't, I'm trying to think of the name of the thing because I read about it. Um, and you could sign on and for a dollar or two, you could have a robocall. You could record it and have it sent to politicians of your choice. Wow. Yeah, telling you, telling them, and hey, you know, and I did one. I said, you know, uh, this is, you know, my Dan Tynan, and this is a robocall. Um, unpleasant, isn't it? <laughs> you know, so, you know, why don't you prevent me from getting the same call I'm now making to you. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it is a problem because the politicians, you know, they're desperate. You know, their livelihood depends on, you know, getting people out there to actually vote for them. And they will do, I think, just about anything. Uh, and they have access to a huge amount of information because of the voter databases. Right. So, you know, they don't know who you voted for, but they know who you registered for when you last voted, uh, you know, in the last three elections. And, you know, they will send someone to your door. Oh, it gets even worse for the states that have early voting. Um, you know, they, they know who's voted. Right. And so then you can the phone calls can be targeted to just a few that haven't voted. Right. And I remember during the 2000 election calling some guys that listen. You know, I understand you're you're at home <laughs> ten minutes ago. <laughs> right. So please give me a break. Let me have let me have dinner. Let me go to the bathroom. You know, stop calling me all the time. And um, so, but we only have one minute left. Um, so Dan, um, the, the legend of Wilmington. Um, where can people <laughs> find you if they want if they want to um, follow you? So all this talk about privacy, and now I'm supposed to tell them where to find me. Exactly. Um, <laughs> This is called it, irony. This is irony. This is the this is the problem. Is this, you, I'm on you know you and I know each other via Facebook primarily, um, and you know, I'm on Twitter and so and I write about privacy on these things. It's kind of stupid, but um, my Twitter handle is Tynan, 
on tech with little underscores between them. Uh, I blog for IT World. You can find me there. Um, still writing for eSarcasm.com uh, for our 19 devoted readers. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, anywhere anyone will pay me a check. So just Google me and you'll find me. There you go. Well, Dan, thanks as always. It's a pleasure having you on. And I um, hope, hope you will consider coming back again, Sans video. But um, anyway, this is Bennett Kelly from the Internet Law Center um, here in Santa Monica, California. Thank you for joining us today. Um, court is adjourned, and we'll be back next week. Same place, same bat time. Hope you join us then. Bye-bye. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.